Hebrews 2, 1 to 4, where we read these words, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Amen. friend was uh, telling me uh, wistfully about the, the failure of his daughter's marriage. And he said that, you know, for quite a while everything seemed to be going well. They seemed to be happy, but hadn't lasted. And he didn't really know why. Uh, could have been various things. Could have been that they just didn't have enough time together because of work. But the result was that they drifted apart from one another until one day they decided wrongly that the best thing to do was to separate. And that sadly is the story of probably thousands of marriages uh, every year. Uh, no great case of infidelity, domestic abuse or anything like that, but just a kind of gradual drifting apart until the marriage is on the rocks and it's all over. And it's so sad because marriage is such a precious thing. To know the love and companionship of your spouse is something that none of us should take for granted. It takes effort, it takes attention. But precious as marriage is, and marriage is a precious thing, it's not the most important thing in the world. Uh, you can be perfectly fulfilled as a single person. You can find a new start after the heartache of relationship failure through the grace of God. But eternal life is important more than anything else. It's more important than anything that we would uh, have on our list of desirable things. Uh, because the statistics don't lie. Uh, 100 out of 100 people die. That's a stark reality. All of us will come to an end of our life and will either spend an eternity with inexpressible joy in the presence of the Lord or with intolerable anguish separated from him. Therefore, that's something that can't be neglected. Where are we coming from in, in this section of Hebrews? Chapter 1 has been uh, a chapter which began with these wonderful verses which speak about uh, the fact that God has spoken uh, you know, as, as Christians with the Bible, we take that for granted. But the fact is that we are not in uh, a universe which is uh, an enigma. 
Uh, we are not in a universe where we have to cast around trying to find uh, the meaning of life. Uh, because God uh, has spoken. He has revealed himself. Uh, he has declared the meaning of life. God is there and he is not silent. And he has spoken, the writer tells us, in these last days through his son, Jesus. And his person is so much more exalted than even the most exalted of creatures, than the angels. And chapter 2, with which we are opening, leads to the implication that if God has spoken, then men and women must listen. God speaks. It's our duty. It's laid upon us to hear and to respond to what he says. And verses 1 to 4 are a warning to us of the importance of listening, of paying attention. It's one of these uh, warning passages for which the letter to the Hebrews is famous. There are a number of them right through the the letter. Uh, Some of them are quite difficult, it has to be said. They're complex and longer uh, passages of warning. But uh, in essence, none of them are more, say any more than this one does here, which is that if you don't pay attention to the gospel, you will find that you come under the judgment of God. Now that's not something that God is saying to make your life unpleasant. God is not saying that to intimidate or to harass you. It is one of the means that God uses to ensure that his people will continue on the path of salvation that leads to eternal life. The warnings of Hebrews have got this positive purpose. Think about this. If you're in the, if you're in the countryside, if you're into to walking uh, you know, on, on the, the moor or the mountain, you come across uh, a sign that's been posted by a wealthy landowner, and the sign says, Land access rights permit you to walk across this estate, but if you're found in violation of private property in even the smallest respect, the full weight of the law will be brought to bear upon you. You'd read that and you think, that's a pretty heavy-handed, intimidatory kind of warning. And you might indeed resent it. But on the other hand, there there are certain other warning signs that we we view differently. For example, you know that that yellow sign that you see on uh, the the poles that carry uh, electricity lines? And you have a picture uh, of a man uh, in black against the, the yellow background, and he's, he's falling over. He's at a 45-degree angle, and he's got a zigzag uh, going into his chest. And the warning below goes, danger of death. So it's, it's pretty explicit. It's not really uh, full of padding. It's a very straight warning sign. And you appreciate that, you know. It's there to help you. And so if you had any designs on climbing the pole, you forget about them. There's a danger of death here. The sign's there for your good. That's the nature of the warnings in Hebrews. They're stern and stark to do us good. If you ignore God, he will ignore you. If you live without God, you will die without God. So I want to look with you uh, at the verses under uh, three greats. Three greats. First of all, there's a great salvation. And then there's a great mistake that we're warned against. And there's a great 
judge, a great salvation. This uh, little section uh, contains a number of real uh, gold nuggets for preachers, and one of them is, of course, verse 3. How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? It's a powerful question, isn't it? Something to alert you to straight away is that you might not have even expected it to have been worded like that. Because we've been speaking about a message, haven't we? The the, the word of God, uh, his speaking to us uh, through his son. So we might have expected that the warning would be, how will we escape if we neglect such a great message? So straight away, uh, we're reminded that salvation and the word are bound up together. God speaking and God saving us are bound up together. We are not saved by the sacraments. We're saved by the word of God. We're not saved by a life coach that comes and helps us to be more moral people. We're saved by attending to the life-changing gospel, the word of God. And so, whilst the writer could have said, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great message? Ah, he says instead, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Because the two are inextricably linked. Salvation comes through heeding the message. The gospel message is the way in, it's the way on. That's why it's so important for us uh, as Christians to know our Bibles. Uh, to have responded to the message about Jesus Christ that's revealed in, in the Bible and to have our life thereafter shaped by the Word of God. Paul says in Romans ten seventeen, faith comes through hearing the message and the message is heard through the Word of Christ. Salvation comes from the Word. That's why our mission as a congregation is to release the Word into the community around us. That's how people will be saved. When they come into contact with the word of God, the powerful, life-changing word of God, the word does its work. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. That's so exciting. It's so exciting at the present time to be in a context where people are gathering in an Italian restaurant to read the word of God. People, some of whom have not been in church yet, That really thrills me to the core. They're reading the Bible. They're reading about Jesus. They're meeting Jesus in Mark's gospel. Isn't that fantastic? Is there anything that's more exciting than than seeing people being uh, hearing the claims of Jesus Christ and knowing that the Holy Spirit is at work as the word is shared, as the word is made plain? We hear the gospel, we believe the gospel, and we live according to the gospel. The gospel uh, is the straight edge that measures our life. You know, like a, a, a builder's straight edge that keeps them right, keeps them on track. The gospel keeps our lives on track. A great salvation. Why does he speak about this salvation being great? What is it, uh, especially in the context of this letter, that, that means that the salvation is so great? Well, it's great because of the person 
well, first of all, uh, the, the, the person of Christ. Um, but it's a salvation because it's a, it's a way of escape. It's a way uh, of avoiding a fate that is just too bad to think about. And of course, this is a big gospel, a big Bible theme. Uh, fleeing the judgment that is to come. Uh, being hidden in the rock. That is Christ Jesus uh, being preserved on the day when God will judge the living and the dead. Salvation is uh, escaping a dreadful outcome. Asia Bibi, the the Pakistani lady, 53-year-old Pakistani Christian uh, who has been languishing in prison under a death sentence. It's been so good, hasn't it, to, to know that she has been released And lots of prayer went up for Asia Bibi in that uh, situation in Pakistan. She was a farm worker and they were out gathering, harvesting fruit. And there was probably quite a heated discussion. And the other labourers accused her of blaspheming the prophet Muhammad. And so she was under a death sentence. And the judge with much courage uh, has overturned that. And sadly, our own country doesn't have the guts to give her asylum, but hopefully the Netherlands or another European country is going to give her asylum. She will escape. She will have salvation from a terrible threat. That's what salvation is. And it's great, as you said, because the Saviour is great. You see, the therefore, uh, in uh, chapter 2, uh, reflects us back. Remember, we sometimes say, when we see the word therefore, we ask the question, why is the therefore? therefore? You know, it's therefore a purpose. It's, it's going back to what's uh, preceded. And what's preceded is the greatness of Jesus. He's greater than the angels. He is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. The Son of God is the same in substance and equal in power and glory with the Father. He reveals God truly because he is God. Famous statement by Archbishop Michael Ramsey. He said once that God is Christ-like and in him is no unchrist-likeness at all. Uh, There are no dark secrets to be discovered about God the Father. There is no unchrist-likeness in him. Jesus says to Philip, he who has seen me has seen the Father. The Son of God came to bring eternal life for his own. He came to destroy the works of the devil. He came with authority and power. He bursts onto the scene in Mark's Gospel, uh, proclaiming the kingdom of God and demonstrating his authority over life, uh, over spirits, over nature, uh, over uh, death, over sin. A salvation that has been proclaimed by Jesus, the Son of God, is therefore a great salvation. It's a great salvation that has to be heeded because of the person who has proclaimed the message of escape. Supposing uh, in your street, uh, the guy at the end of the street said that, uh, you know, everyone had to pack up and move off next weekend because there was going to be uh, a military exercise in the area, well, uh, you'd smile, you know. Uh, 
at the, the suggestion. But supposing the Right Honourable Gavin Williamson, Secretary of State for Defence, appeared in the street with the same message, said the tanks were coming, you would immediately start packing your bags because the person who is the bearer of the message is all important. It's a great salvation because of the person who brings uh, that salvation. Some of the early uh, Hebrew Christians may have been saying, well, our forefathers received the law through angels. Uh, We received the law only through a human being. Not so, says the writer. The message was brought by no one less than the Son of God himself, the mighty Son of God. Uh, Matthew 4.23, Jesus went through Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. So this is not some kind of a Chinese whisper that has developed over the years. It's not something that uh, a few folk were talking amongst themselves and then it developed into uh, this message which was put into a book. It's not the, the distillation of the best thoughts of the best thinkers over the centuries. The Son of God came to earth, proclaiming the good news, bearing the salvation for sinners. It's great also because the message has been confirmed by eyewitnesses. It was, the writer says, confirmed to us by those who heard him. It was confirmed to us by those who heard him. It's really, really important. It's also interesting, isn't it? Uh, Because... We, we mentioned last time about how there's this debate as to whether the letter was written by Paul or by someone else. This suggests, doesn't it, that it wasn't Paul. Uh, it was a kind of second generation uh, who heard from the apostles. It was confirmed to us by those who heard him. This is a message uh, on the basis of eyewitness account, eyewitness testimony. Imagine a judge, uh, a judge who is deciding uh, in a court of law uh, on a robbery. The prosecution calls in three witnesses who were there at the scene and who declare that they saw the accused, it was this man, he ran off uh, uh, having smashed the jewellery shop window, ran off clutching uh, an armful of watches. So he said, yes, we saw him. And then the defence here is two people who were not there, but who heard from someone else who claims to be an expert in crime and who claims that these kind of robberies don't take place anymore, but they're always the result of fiction. Well, who's the judge going to listen to? It's always got to uh, be the credible witness of those who were there and who can bear credible testimony that have the strongest weight. And so it is that the gospel rests on the testimony of those who are there. Those who are there. And in establishing the church, uh, it was necessary that authority be vested in apostles And they were, by definition, people who had witnessed the risen Jesus. So when Paul defends his apostleship, he says, Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen the risen Christ? In other words, that's part of my credentials. 
I couldn't be an apostle if I had not seen the risen Christ. Now, people in our day are rightly concerned, is the Bible reliable? Is the New Testament believable? And what we have as Christians to tell them is, yes, it is. It's, it's more credible than, than the great majority of other historical documents going back this far because it is accredited by eyewitness. And when it comes to the resurrection, Paul is able to, to say to the Galatians, you know, at one time uh, he appeared to more than 500 people. And most of them are still living, actually. You know, you can go and speak to them. Go and uh, come to me. I'll give you their addresses. You can check out the facts. It's not based on wishful thinking. It's based on eyewitness accounts. And in addition, God confirmed the testimony of the apostles who had seen the risen Jesus. God, verse 4, God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So, just as in a court of law, the, the kind of witness is important. You know, someone says, I saw this person. Well, um, you know, they have to be of sound mind, don't they? You, you, they have to be kind of a witness that you listen to. And God has authenticated his witnesses by giving signs and wonders to confirm what they say. And so Paul, again, pointing to his credentials, doesn't just say that he has witnessed the risen Christ, but in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, he says, I persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle, including signs, wonders, and miracles. Signs of a true apostle. Signs, wonders, and miracles. God gave signs, wonders, and miracles as the credentials of his true apostles. Listen to them. They are my witnesses. And here is the proof. So these things uh, that they did, healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, these things were things which could only be done by the power of God. They testified to the fact that God was backing them. God was affirming what they were saying. Interesting, isn't it? The, the, the signs that accompany an apostle. Um, it's a reminder that it, is, it would be mistaken really to insist that, that these first century signs would be present throughout the church. Uh, that would be to miss the purpose for which they were given. They were given to authenticate the message of the apostles. In fact, we know that as time went on, the miracles, prophecy, and tongues gradually died out in the church. And even in Paul's ministry, if you track Paul's ministry, there seems to be a tapering off of the frequency of miracles. Acts 19, uh, even handkerchiefs that were carried by Paul to those who were sick brought healing. But at the end of his life, uh, he didn't tell Timothy to claim healing for his stomach problems uh, or wait till the handkerchiefs had arrived or whatever. He told them to take a little wine for his stomach's sake. And, or, in other words, we would say, take the medication, take the medicine. Uh, Paul didn't uh, pray for healing for Trophimus. Uh, he left him sick at Miletus, 2 Timothy 
So this is a great salvation because of the person of the Saviour and because of the, the credibility, the authority of the message. It was given by eyewitnesses. The apostles were all uh, eyewitnesses to the risen Jesus. And God himself authenticated what they said through signs and miracles and wonders. A great salvation. But there's a great mistake that we can make and we must not make. And the danger, the danger is so great because the, the error, in a sense, is so gentle. It hardly makes a ripple. It's one of neglecting so great a salvation. Or the NIV has ignoring such a great salvation. Neglecting, ignoring. Uh, The word is found also in Matthew chapter 22 verse 5. In one of Jesus' parables. The parable of the banquet. And we're told there that some who are invited made light of it. The King James Version. And went their ways. One to his farm and one to his merchandise. Or the ESV and the NIV but they paid no attention. They made light of it. They paid no attention. They neglected it. They ignored it. You get the idea? It's the same idea. And of course, the consequence of, of making light of it, ignoring it, neglecting it, was that they were shut out of the banquet. They were excluded. They, the chilling feature of the warning is that in... In some ways, it's such a kind of British way of neglecting salvation, isn't it? It's not, a, it's not a shaking of the fist. It's not an angry response to the gospel. It's simply to ignore it. To neglect its importance. Which is a terrible mistake when the invitation comes from Jesus Christ. Earlier in, in this year, I, I got an invitation to attend uh, a remarkable event down in London organised by the Bible Society. It's called the National Prayer Breakfast. And it was held in the Houses of Parliament. And the, the main speaker was, was going to be Tim Keller at this event, so I was really keen to go. And the, the aim was to, to link up church leaders with political leaders with, with members of parliament uh, so that there was I suppose dialogue so that there could be more uh, influence through that developing and the condition of going uh, was that you had to also invite your local MP so that uh, he sat beside you, she, she sat beside you at the, the breakfast table and uh, you know whilst there was obviously there was the food and there was the talks and there was praise, they, they Keith and Kristen Getty were, were there singing. Uh, and the hope was that there would be some kind of relationship would be built up between Christian leaders and their political representatives. So I duly contacted the said man. He agreed to attend. But when the day came, his place was empty. Now the Prime Minister was there. Theresa May was there. Uh, there were over 100 MPs were there. Uh, it was a great breakfast and he missed that and he probably missed some scintillating conversation as well at the breakfast table 
But he had simply neglected the invite. And it probably had simply been a case of being forgotten about in the stream of busyness. You know, so many things just took its place that he ended up just not being there. He neglected the invitation. And that's, generally speaking, how we end up missing out on salvation. We drift. We must, he says, pay the closest attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. That's how a ship ends up on the rocks. If the ship uh, slips its anchor, if, it's, if the, the anchor chain is broken and the current just carries the ship away, it drifts imperceptibly. A sailing boat, uh, if the, those that are trimming the sails aren't careful that the boat gradually moves off course, it drifts. The tides are powerful, the currents are powerful, the winds are powerful. It drifts off course. And you don't notice. It happens slowly. Until it's too late. That's how heresy very often comes into the church. Uh, Nobody raises a voice when the first minister questions the, the virgin birth or the resurrection or the cross as a judgment on sin. And gradually, you know, people get accustomed to these mixed-up ideas being aired on the floor of the the church assemblies. Nobody decided that one day we would no longer believe the Bible. There wasn't a big debate in which uh, the new uh, heresy was enshrined in the church's statement. Just gradually, day by day, Little by little, there was a drift from the truth until the church ended up on the rocks. And when it comes down to us as individuals, it's so solemn, isn't it? Really solemn. Because you do see this. You see this in the lives of people who were once diligent Bible students. And eager to witness. And they drifted. Seemed so innocuous at times to simply skip times being alone with God. Just to miss that regular pattern of reading your Bible and and praying at that set time in the morning. You know, just it was so difficult when the kids came along. I just got out of the way of doing it. And then, well, you know, it became, wasn't such a big deal when I missed, you know, one or two services at church. But then the pattern became more and more of skipping the gathering together of God's people. And then people began to notice when they were actually around, when they were there. And then at last... They no longer bothered coming. They simply had drifted too far. And therefore, the the warning leads to an implicit exhortation to us to check the charts, check the navigation charts. How are we, how am I, how are you, compared to where you were a year ago, Or five years ago. 
<laughs> if it's imperceptible drift, you see, you have to look back over a longer period of time. How is your zeal for the Lord today compared to what it was five years ago? Are you maintaining your fervor for the Lord or is it somehow uh, growing cold? Are you as often in the Bible as you were five years ago? Is the Bible coming alive and warming your heart as it did then? How is your walk with the Lord? This is a very solemn warning and we really need to take it to heart. Am I drifting away from the Lord? Because you see there's a great judge. Our third point, a great judge. The writer warns that much more is expected of us on account of having had a more full and a clearer revelation. He says, for since the message spoken through angels was binding... And every violation and disobedience received its just punishment. How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? Contrast is between the, the law which was given uh, by the mediation of angels on Mount Sinai. And on the other hand, the gospel proclaimed by the Son of God, confirmed by apostles, authenticated by signs and wonders. The law is precious. The law given at Sinai is precious because uh, we're told it's our, our, our tutor. It brings us to Christ. It shows up our need. It has an evangelistic purpose. Uh, it's also a rule for life. The moral law is a rule for life. It, it helps to shape uh, the, the Christian life. But the revelation that we have in the gospel is so much clearer, it's less opaque than the revelation of the law. And the writer's argument is, if a less full and more opaque revelation was binding, and to ignore it or to disobey it uh, had repercussions, brought judgment, then how much more will the judgment be on those who have received a much fuller revelation, who have heard the gospel, who know about Jesus and the way of salvation. One of the questions that, that um, people often ask uh, is, what about people who've never heard, who've never had the Bible? I'm sure you've all encountered that kind of question, or maybe you've had it yourself. What about people who have never had the Bible. Well, the answer to that really is that, that God will be a just judge. And we can't really go any further than that. God will be a just judge. They will be judged uh, in a fair manner and not just for outward conformity to God's standards, but to, in terms of inward conformity to God's standards. No one will be able to appeal to a superficial keeping of the law because God looks upon the heart. He will be the judge of all the earth who will judge rightly. He will judge fairly. But the real question, isn't it, the, the deeper, more solemn question is, what about the people who have heard? 
that's the way the the dilemma is shaped here. That's that's the real issue because uh, the outcome is so much more solemn. The verse makes clear it will be much worse for those who have heard the wonderful gospel announced through the Son of God, and yet they have ignored it. That's, you know, to make light of the gospel, that is so serious, isn't it? Someone hears the, the good news that God has so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Here is salvation offered to you. You can know forgiveness of sins. You can have peace with God. And someone goes, oh come. And gets back to updating their Facebook page. <coughs> is that not chilling? And so to the question, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? There's only one answer, isn't it? Uh, We will not escape. We will not escape if we neglect so great a salvation. Therefore, let us receive the word of God with gladness, with a believing heart, and let us go on paying careful attention to God's word that we might not drift that we might not go off course but that we might keep track encouraging one another each day to go on with the Lord and to make visible progress as Christians because after all that's what the church is all about isn't it may God bless to us his precious word Amen.